This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us today. Last November, Republicans celebrated when they captured the presidency in both houses of Congress. The old days of divided government gridlock were now to be replaced with a unified party vision. Well, barely five, nine months later, those halcyon days seem as distant as the Stone Age. Just this past week, the Trump administration took a tumble on education spending within the Republican-controlled House Appropriations Committee. Instead of getting $9.2 billion in budget cuts, which is what the White House requested, the committee gave them only $2.4 billion. And even worse, the committee jettisoned nearly all of Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos's school choice innovations. To discuss all this, I have with me today Charles Barone, Director of Policy at Democrats for Education Reform. Charlie, I'm delighted to have you with me on Education Exchange. Uh, you've worked on education policy inside the House of Representatives for eons. So why was it... Uh, that Trump was unable to get to even first base on his key school choice proposals? I think he, you know, there were just so many factors working against it and very few factors working in favor of it. Um, Republicans in the House really, sort of the party platform that there's support for school choice that involves private schools, but when it comes down to actually voting and passing legislation, it, it's really never happened in the House, um, even when the House has been um, controlled by Republicans with a larger margin of votes than they even have now. Well, what's going on there? Why don't Republicans support what they say they support? Uh, I think when you get down to individual members, uh, you have a lot of Republicans from rural areas where it, they don't see how it's going to work there. and. Uh, I think a second factor is, you know, it is, it is a dis disruptive reform. So while they may be, you know, for vouchers in principle, it's still some, a difficult and touchy subject with the folks they have to work with back home who run the traditional public schools. So I think that's always been one factor. Um, yeah, some people don't know this. I don't know what the numbers are now, but the National Education Association does um, support the candidacies of some Republicans. In my experience uh, in the House, and I left at the end of 2003, so I don't know the inside as much now as I do uh, back then, but back then they had a good 30 or 40 Republicans that they could count on to vote against a, a voucher proposal if they needed them. So um, I, I worked, I was very involved with NTLB, and on the floor votes on that, it was a foregone conclusion that um, the voucher amendment to that bill would not pass because of that political setup. Well, back then, there was a good deal of cooperation uh, between Democrats and Republicans, especially with respect to NCLB. I know there were party differences, but, but they did find a way of coming together and actually putting into place a pretty major piece of legislation. And even, uh, you know, in, in recent times, the revision of NCLB, ESSA, the uh, Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, passed with votes from both sides of the aisle. Um, why are we back on strictly party-line votes right now? 
mean, I think I think the administration got off to a rocky start with Democrats with the nomination of Betsy DeVos. Um, obviously, that played out more directly on the Senate side, where they had to confirm her. Um, but I don't I don't think um, she went over well with Democrats in the in the Senate. Um, and even a couple of Republicans who voted against your nomination. So they got off to a rough start there. And, um, you know, I think an another problem with the Trump proposals that we haven't um, touched on yet is they cost money. And so another thing I find with Republicans is the, the fiscal conservative principles um, of Republicans often override any consideration of of policy. So even if it involves education policies that they support, um, there, there's less enthusiasm for coughing up a whole bunch of new money um, for new proposals, even if they're principles that, that Republicans support. And I think that's been another obstacle at a time when Money overall is in short supply anyway, and both Republicans and Democrats are trying to satisfy um, competing responsibilities just to sort of keep the programs that are out there now afloat, um, which is why I think you had a much uh, smaller cut in education in the uh, appropriations bill that passed out of the House Appropriations Committee yesterday um, than was in the Trump budget that came out earlier uh, this year. Yeah, he was asking for a lot, saying, I want you to cut $9 billion and I want you to put some more money into some new programs about choice, which you aren't very excited about, but I want to do that. So he, he was asking for a lot. In That's his. correct. And so now, isn't that often the case that presidents will put out stuff that's dead on arrival when it reaches Capitol Hill? Is this anything really new out there, or is this— often been seen in the past? It's not anything new, but with education, it is a little bit new. Um, I started work on Capitol Hill in 93, and at that time, Bill Clinton had an education agenda that um, was fairly centrist, included standards and accountability. It was really towards the beginning of the whole standards and accountability movement, which he had been involved with as a governor, and um, he had three main pieces of education legislation that he got passed, um, and so he got his agenda across the finish line. Now, he had the presidency, and he had a Democratic Congress for two years, and that all changed in November of 94, but during his first two years, he was on a roll. Um, so he got, he got a number of things passed around standards and accountability, uh, which also included the establishment of the federal charter schools program. Yeah, and no, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and on the on the charters, especially, I can see your point on vouchers being disruptive. But you know, charters have been out there, and all mm -hmm. Trump asked for was another couple hundred million dollars for charter schools, and they ended up giving him only twenty-eight million for charters. What? Why weren't the Republicans? willing to give more help on the on the charter front the charter thing is really perplexing i mean we actually at defer we support the president's target for 500 million um for the federal charter school program 
and we've been working the hill on it. So part of what I do is lobby, and um, it's a it's a little mystifying. There's a there's a there's there's rhetorical Republican support for the charter school program, but when it comes to appropriations, um, it's 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 iffy from year to year. And this year, it wasn't particularly good. And and in the context of you know a budget where you're talking about billions and dollar, uh, dollars, the extra roughly $160 million that, that Trump is asking for in terms of an increase to the federal charter school program, it's not a lot of money. It could have easily been accommodated. And um, the program is probably one of the most efficient in terms of return on investment of federal money of any program out there. A lot of it is set aside for replicating and expanding high-quality charter schools so you know you're going to get bang for your buck. So that's a little mystifying. I can't give you all the names and everything, but I can also tell you that just in terms of the weighing in on increasing money for the federal charter school program, there are more Democrats on record in both the Senate and the House who've signed letters to appropriators asking for an increase in the charter school program than there are Republicans. So um, I can't fully explain that to you. Um, there's probably more Republican support for the for the policies of charters than there is on the Democratic side, although it's pretty close. There have been bipartisan charter schools that have passed in the House with wide margins in both parties in, in recent years. But when it comes to the money, again, I think the fiscal conservatism of Republicans often overrides the other other policy priorities. They, they could still get there this year. The process is not by any means over. But uh, at the starting of here, we're not doing so well. So what do you see happening over on the Senate side? Uh, I know that's all speculative at this point because they haven't really, um, you know, tipped their hand. But are they, you, you think that they may modify the, the House uh, markup? Yeah, I think it's possible that they could shoot for smaller cuts. To programs than than the house uh, made, um, and uh, it's really been the Senate um, that's come through on increasing funding for um, charter schools in recent years under control of either party. Really, I mean, the there was a there was a small increase last year in appropriations. So when I say last year, I mean the last fiscal year, but that was only really resolved a few months ago because they. They go late. They were halfway through the fiscal year before they settled on funding for the fiscal year. Um, but it's been the Senate that's come through. The House came into negotiations for the last fiscal year with flat funding for the charter school program. And the Senate had an increase, and the final bill had an increase that was actually slightly larger than what the Senate came into the negotiations with. So uh, Roy Blunt of Missouri um, has led that effort on the Republican side. He's chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee uh, with the support of a number of Democrats on the Appropriations Committee like Dick Durbin and Dianne Feinstein and others. So there's another issue that uh, came up, and, and this one was a, a, a fight between Republicans and Democrats, and that was over the cuts in professional development or teacher training programs uh, that's the program that got the hefty cuts uh, in the House uh, Appropriations Committee. Uh, now, my own view on that, I guess, is that 
there's not much good research that shows that professional development programs have much of a positive impact. Uh, so I was not uh, too upset by that, uh, but the Democrats were upset. And I was wondering, was this a case where the Republican members uh, in the House sort of said, okay, here's the easy program to cut. It's never been shown to have had much of a positive effect. Or did they kill a, a, a value? I mean, what, what's your assessment of that one? Complicated. Um, you know, during, the, during um, deliberations on the Every Student Succeeds Act, there were um, Republicans that put a lot of effort into changing the allocation formula for that program, which leads one to believe that they were interested in continuing funding it. But you're correct, the research on professional development uh, as it's currently administered at the local level is not encouraging. Um, you know, over the course of decades, there have been repeated calls for having that improve and moving from the sort of one-shot teach, one shot teacher workshops that most districts have to a, a model that where there's more ongoing and sustained professional development. But in most cases, that hasn't really happened. So on the merits, it was an easier program to um, cut maybe than, than some others. Um, it does go to every state. It goes to more than 90% of the districts. So it's not a real goodwill um, action to cut that funding because districts won't like it because they'll, they'll, almost everybody will lose some money um, from this. And uh, the, other, the other factor that may be operating here is um, it's it, it's allowable to use those funds for class size reduction, um, which is another sort of imperfect reform at the local level. It's sold on the fact that smaller classes uh, are liked by parents and that some research shows in the early grades, uh, if you reduce class size and don't uh, do anything uh, that's detrimental to teacher quality, you can get student learning gains. But um, that's not typically how class size reduction is carried out in most places. So uh, it, it, it may be easier for Republicans to do because that's more of a union priority, um, class size reduction typically. It does, you know, independent of anything else, uh, tend to create more dues-paying union members. So um, that's another factor operating, I think. But it is expensive, class size reduction, and $2 billion spent around the country isn't going to do a lot of class size reduction, I would guess. Yeah. There, are, there are other places where um, you probably get more bang for your buck. And again, you know, teacher quality is, um, most of the research would show, uh, accounts for much more variance in student achievement than does class size. So um, if the professional development money isn't being used to improve teacher quality, it's harder to make the case for it. I mean, there's a case being made by some that states and districts are moving to more effective professional development models, but right now that tends to be primarily anecdotal, and I don't know if, there, if there's good research indicating that that's happening in any kind of systemic way. Well, one thing, uh, it, and finally, that, that we should just probably end on is, is 
you know, most of education is funded by state and local government, you know, something like 90%. So whatever happens in Washington is 10%. You know, just how, how important is all of this? I don't know, you know, particularly, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation, particularly hard to make a dent in school choice where, you know, under the Title I program, which is the by far the largest K-12 program, you know, dwarfs everything else. Um, funding is maybe 2000 per student. You know, that's not necessarily a particularly uh, powerful vehicle for creating a voucher because a parent's really not going to be able to take that and do much of that to go anywhere, even if they could work out the policy. And so that makes it hard, whereas it's easier to leverage Title I for some other things where you're talking about that two or 3000 maybe per kid, maybe nationally only amounting to 7%, but in some school districts being a much, and some schools a much larger percentage. So it's leverage for things around standards, assessments, accountability, that kind of thing. Um, the one thing, though, I think we should not fail to note before ending our conversation is there is still the proposal out there from the Trump administration to do something through the tax code to provide a tax credit for individuals or organizations that create school scholarships for students to attend private schools. And the tax bill is in the very early stages of discussion. They had wanted to resolve the health care uh, bill before they moved on to tax. That seems to be on its last legs right now, so they may quickly move to tax as a way of at least getting some kind of win this year because it's not only in education that they've been slowed down. So there's still that hanging out there. Um, and it, it might be easier to do something through the tax code than it is through the other means um, that the Trump administration proposed through, you know, direct grants to school districts that go through the U.S. Department of Education. So yeah. I would say people should keep an eye out for what happens there. And where's the Democrats for Education Reform going to come out on tax credits? Uh, we'd have to see the proposal, I think, you know. Um, it's, it, it, it's another reason the right is hesitant to have the feds involved in education because uh, there are strings that people might want to propose along with that money. So just to name one, you know, do you have um, standard workplace rules apply about a school's ability to or freedom to hire and fire people according to their religious affiliation or toward whether they're uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. So all those kinds of issues come up around fairness and equal employment opportunities. So um, I, there are a number of Democrats that have supported that kind of thing at the state level. You know, Ed Rendell got a program like that going in Pennsylvania. When he was governor, um, uh, other governors have, I think Cuomo's favorite in New York, but has been waiting for the right vehicle to cut some kind of deal. Um, there are a couple other Democratic governors out there who have supported it. So of all the choice things, that has more support within the party than anything else. So uh, to be 
determined later. Yeah. Well, in our polling, we find that uh, the tax credit idea is the most popular of all the choice ideas out there. So listen, yeah. uh, thank you very much, uh, Charlie. I appreciate your joining me on Education Exchange. This is Charles Barone, the Director of Policy at Democrats for Education Reform. This is Paul Peterson at the Education Exchange. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.